everyone and welcome to Riverside Online. Thank you for joining us as we continue our new series in the book of Nehemiah. Hope you enjoy the sermon. Hey everyone, so I don't know if you're married, but maybe you can picture a couple who embodies what it means to have an incredible marriage. Maybe they've been married for 30, 40 or even 50 years. The odds are very high that if you had to look under the hood of their marriage, you are going to see that it's not just about the romance, but that there are going to be some practices that keep them on track and keep their marriage healthy and wonderful. The same is true with business. If you had to look under the hood of someone who is running an incredible business, yes, you might see the odd stroke of luck here and there, but what you are definitely going to see if you look under the hood are going to be some practices and some disciplines that help them keep their business healthy and strong. And the same is true when it comes to those of us who follow Christ. Maybe you can imagine someone you know who, according to you, is a living embodiment of what it means to follow Jesus. They just show patience and wisdom and spiritual vitality and they're not sucked into all the many dramas of life and they're always recognizing the reality and presence of Christ in their lives. Chances are very, very high that if you had to look under the hood of their lives, you are going to see some practices and some disciplines that keep their spiritual life healthy and on track. And that is what today's sermon is about. We are going to be talking about prayer and fasting. Let me admit something right from the beginning. Prayer and fasting doesn't make for the most exciting of sermons. If you had to look at the various podcasts or YouTube channels, at the most, uh, at the highest clicks and the most downloads, you're not going to see sermons on prayer and fasting. You are going to see sermons on uh, little clicks that are going to tell you just how awesome you are and how God is on your side. And, and some of that can be very encouraging. Or especially these days, you're going to see a whole lot of controversial stuff and people's taking strong points on certain issues. And that tends to be the clickbait of our time. But praying fasting, well, that's not exciting. That's not for me. That's not going to give me my dopamine fix for the next five minutes. That's for the other super hyper spiritual Christians. And yet what we are going to see today is that prayer and fasting, if we look under the hood of our spiritual lives, is probably some of the most powerful disciplines that we can engage in that's going to keep our spiritual vitality so we are looking at the book of Nehemiah and last week we saw that the book of Nehemiah opens up with Nehemiah receiving some horrible news about what's going on in his homeland. Nehemiah is not in his homeland, he's in Babylon. In fact, he is the king's, one of the king's personal assistants. So he's in palaces, he's eating and drinking well, he's in a lap of luxury, but then he hears about the devastation back home. As we met as one of the life groups this last week, Vernon used this metaphor which I thought was so helpful. And I know that some of you are from Zim and, and maybe even going as far back as from the Rhodesia days. And for whatever reason, you needed to leave your homeland. Now, how do you feel when sometimes decades later, there's a part of you that says, man, things should have come right by now. Things should be back on track, but they're not. 
How do you feel when you hear news of how uh, devastation is still happening from your homeland? Well, that is exactly how Nehemiah felt. What we saw last week is that Nehemiah's first response was to recognize just how sorrowful he was and to passionately pour out his sorrow and his grief to God in lamenting. And last week we saw how God wants us to bring our grief and our sorrow to him and express it to him and how he often heals us in that space. And it is such a powerful tool for us to learn how to express our lament and our grief and our sorrow. And so we're going to pick up where we left off last week. And so read with me Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 4. We start off with this. When I heard these things, this horrible news, I sat down and wept. And for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. What we're going to do is the rest of our time together, we're going to spend time looking at this very famous prayer in this book of Nehemiah. And here's a good exercise for you. Whenever you come across a prayer, be it this prayer in Nehemiah or some of the Psalms or some of the New Testament prayers that we see in the Bible, it's always a good thing for us to use this as a learning and a stretching experience. Let's take how we tend to pray. Let's look at how God's people in the scriptures tend to pray. And let's maybe learn, let's maybe be stretched by how they pray. And maybe we can grow some of uh, the spiritual vitality in our lives by being taught how to pray. So let's see how Nehemiah prays. Starting off, I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. Now, Nehemiah is coming to God desperate. He's coming to God with an incredibly great and painful need. And maybe you and I, when we are desperate, when we have a big and painful need, maybe that's where we start and we're just pouring out our need before God. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But that's not where Nehemiah starts. Where does Nehemiah start? Well, he starts off by looking at the God to whom he is praying. He reminds himself of God's greatness and God's awesomeness and God's faithfulness. And he, and he evokes a heart of worship in himself as he starts here. You see, he's going to bring a big need to God, but he starts off by looking and worshiping the big God recognizing that once I've seen this God and my heart has beheld this God, then when I bring this big need to him, I know that my God can respond to me. Then he continues and he says, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees and laws you gave your servants Moses. Now, Nehemiah is not in his homeland. He is in exile because the Babylonians came in and destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the city. There was bloodshed and they took the inhabitants of these cities into exile. And that's where Nehemiah finds himself. So who did this to them? Who did this to Nehemiah's family? Well, it was the Babylonians. And so maybe you and I might want to pray a prayer of justice. Lord, have justice. Lord, would you punish the Babylonians? Lord, would you almost do an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth to them? But that is not what Nehemiah prays. 
See, what Nehemiah knows is while the direct cause of their predicaments was the Babylonians, this goes back a lot further. See, God had been calling his people to turn to him and to repent from their wicked ways for centuries. And they refused to listen. And so Nehemiah knows that they are in this predicament because of their sin. Now people have often wondered, do I need to take responsibility for other people's sin, for the sin of maybe all Christians, or for the sin of my nation, or for the sin of previous generations? Well, this is exactly what Nehemiah does. He stands in the gap and he says, Lord, I recognize that it is the sin of my family. That is the sin of my hands and also the sin of my people and the generations who came before me that got us here. So why do this? Maybe when we come to God with a big need, we feel like confession might be a waste of time. Here's the thing I really want to pray to you, God, about. Why do I need to go through all of this? Is this just jumping through hoops? Well, here's the thing. Confession puts us in a position of truth. See, confession unmasks us. So often we come to God pretending everything's okay, or we believe that if I pray the right righteous prayer language, then somehow God is going to answer my prayer. But that's not how it works. God wants to meet you face to face. And so what Nehemiah does and what we are even taught to do, for example, in the Lord's Prayer, is to confess and come to God real. And as we confess the ways that we have failed to be Christ followers, that we have failed God and we have failed to be human, as we lay down our biases, we begin to realize we lay down any sense of merit that we might have before God, any sense that God should Respond to my prayer. And then we stand there in many ways vulnerable and naked and open handed. But it is in that place. It is in that place that we do meet God face to face. It is in that place when we realize that there is nothing that I have done that deserves God to respond in a gracious and favorable way. And yet it is in that place that we find favor. It is in that place that we find grace. It is in that place that we actually find communion and love and power from God. And so no, we're not wasting our time. We're cleaning the slates and we're allowing ourselves to come to God humbly and actually experience an incredible healing and powerful moments with him. And so as we continue looking at this verse, we read from verse 8, when Nehemiah prays, Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even your exiled people are at the furthest horizon. I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. See, here's Nehemiah standing in the gap. It's just me, Nehemiah. I am literally praying for millions of sins for tens of thousands of people over hundreds of years. We have gotten ourselves into this position. We are in a desperate situation. But here's what I'm going to do, God. I'm going to recognize that, but I'm also going to hold on to your character. I'm going to hold on to your faithfulness, and I'm going to hold on to your promises. Pastor J.D. Greer, he, he says, here's one thing that the health, wealth, prosperity people get right. And that is the degree to which they hold on to God's promises. They just tend to hold on to the wrong promises or a wrong understanding of God's promises. But we need to do that. We need to recognize our situation as a desperate one. And at the same time, see a faithful God and hold on to God's promises. 
So when you pray, do you have some promises you can hold on to? Do you have some verses that you can go back to time and time again to reorientate yourself to God's faithfulness? That you can pray with confidence, knowing that this is a true thing about God and a true thing about how He wants to respond to you. Just this last week, I, I was praying some promises that I regularly go to. It comes from the Sermon on the Mount, where one of the promises God says, He says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. That's a promise. And so regularly I hold on to that promise and I say, God, I want to see you. I want to see you in my life. I want to see you in the world. And so, Father God, purify my heart because you say that if my heart is purified, I will see you. A few verses later, it says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. That's a promise. So, God, I want to be filled with your presence and your power and your love. So help me hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then the last few verses for today. From verse 10, they are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. And then finally, he gets to his big ask. And we're going to see how this plays itself out next week. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Notice how he can finally bring his ask with confidence. Why? Because he's seen God. He's worshipped God. He's recognized his own frailty before God. But God's faithfulness to him in spite of this frailty. He's encountered God's presence and God's forgiveness, grace and mercy. And now he can bring this request with a courage and a confidence that is going to spur him on to become a man not only of prayer but of action of great courage and conviction. He's not begging God. He's not bargaining with God. I don't know if you've ever done that, right? Lord, I know I haven't studied, but if you help me pass this exam, I will dot, dot, dot. I will never swear again or whatever it may be. I don't know if you've ever done that. Nehemiah doesn't need to bargain with God because he has encountered God in prayer. Because this isn't meant to be a formula. Start at A, move to B, move to C. And if you get the formula right, then somehow God will answer your prayers. No. This is about our hearts. This is about positioning and posturing our hearts before God so that we see Him rightly and engage Him rightly and intimately and powerfully and courageously. So that's... A bit of a lesson around prayer. But where does fasting fit into this? Why did Nehemiah, after hearing this news, feel the need to stop eating? What does that have to do with anything? I mean, can't we just pray? Can't we just pray the prayers we need to pray and just carry on eating as normal, all right? Why do we have to have a prayer of a week of prayer and fasting at the beginning of every year? And maybe some of you continue to do things like that throughout the year. Well, let's talk about it. There are about 30 occasions of fasting that we see in the Bible, both in the Old and the New. Tim Mackey from the Bible Project, he does something that I've never quite seen before. He takes all 30 of these occurrences and he breaks them up into kind of three sections or three categories or three buckets of types of fasting that we see. And so I want to talk about those quickly. The first one is he talks about the sacred moments fast. 
the sacred moments fast. The big fasts of 40 days of Moses and Elijah and Jesus actually fall into this category. See, what's going on here is not a big need. It's not, here's what I need from you, God. And maybe if I fast, it's kind of like a bit of an extra shot of an espresso in my prayers. And, and maybe that gives me extra power. No, what actually happens in each of these moments is that the people encounter God. Moses and Elijah and Jesus have this incredible, powerful, cosmic, engaging revelation from God. And in that moment, the only appropriate response seems to be, I need to go with this. I need to stop. I need to pause. And I need to spend some devoted time with God. This is not a results-orientated fast. This is a response to something incredible that God has done. Don't get me wrong. God did do stuff in those fasts. God did do stuff in their lives following that. But that is not why they engaged the fast. That's the first kind of fast. The second kind of fast is the turning from sinful choices fast. Out of all the 30 occurrences of fasting in the Bible, this seems to be the most common one. Uh, usually for about 24 hours. Uh, this is what we see in the book of Nehemiah, where he's recognizing his frailty, his failure, his people's frailty, their failure. And when we do the same, when we recognize how we have failed God and how weak we are and how sinful we are, maybe you and I are tempted to just kind of stick a plaster on it. And say something, well, God, I thank you that I'm under grace. Or I thank you that I'm forgiven and we move on. And yet so often what we see in the Bible is that God's people stop. They stop. And they engage this moment where God has revealed something in their heart. Revealed something about their sin. And one of the ways they respond is by fasting. And here's where we begin to see the role of fasting in our lives. Especially in this kind of buckets. All right, we, you and I, we tend to break our lives up into physical stuff and spiritual stuff. So physical stuff is like clothes and eating and going to work and, uh, you know, sleeping and playing. And, and the spiritual stuff, well, that's the invisible stuff. That's kind of, you know, heart, mind, soul, spirit. That's church and worship and praying. And we struggle to see how these two engage, but that's not how God has created us. God has created us as an integrated whole where these two work together or are meant to work together. All right. And so what does your stomach do when you start fasting? Well, in many ways, your stomach mourns the loss of food. The stomach grieves the loss of food. It is physically painful and uncomfortable. And if this is the reason that we're fasting... It actually helps us grieve the sin in our lives. It becomes a physical moment where my spirit can actually agree with what my stomach is saying and saying, Lord, I am grieving my sin. I am wanting to hunger and thirst for righteousness the same way my body is hungering and thirsting for food and water. And so it changes our posture before God as we engage Him in this way. So maybe this week, maybe that's you. Maybe there's a sin in your life that you haven't given the appropriate weight that it needs. And yes, we are forgiven. And yes, we are under grace. But maybe what we need to do is engage that forgiveness and engage that grace by stopping and grieving. Both physically and emotionally and spiritually as I pray and I fast and I deal with the sin in my lives. 
Jesus kind of highlighted the way our bodies and our spirits work together in this way when he was fasting for 40 days, when he was tempted by Satan and he responded by saying, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus recognizing that, yes, we have a physical self, but we also have a spiritual self that responds in very similar ways. And so maybe fasting can help you do that this week. Joel chapter 2 verses 12 says this, Even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. The third bucket or category of fasting I want to talk about is the tragic calamity fast. Not going to spend too much time on this, but Nehemiah has just heard news about this tragic calamity. We see something similar in the book of Esther. And again, it is a way to respond to the pains and the grief in this world that I'm physically participating in pain and loss and grief. And it is helping me spiritually Focus on the brokenness in the world around me, but also pointing me towards the God who can bring his grace and his healing and his mercy into the situation. And so as we look at these three buckets, what we do always see is we do see a God who responds in grace. We do always see a God who does and who acts and who moves. And it's not because fasting is this magic ingredient that gives me extra clout when it comes to my praying with God. Uh, as I was thinking about a bit of a, an analogy, I thought about my laptop. See, every now and again, my laptop stops uh, functioning optimally. And so what I need to do is a bit of a reboot or a reset. And our IT friends will tell us that that is just a way of flushing the system. And often when I do that, my computer gets back to normal. But every now and again, once or twice a year, that's not enough. And so not only do I need to reboot my computer, but I actually need to do a deep cleaning and a deep flush. And I need to get these apps that are going to go in and clean out all the dust and all the cobwebs. And I need to get brutal. I need to take out all the unnecessary clutter, all the unnecessary files and apps and things using my processing power and get right back to basics, almost a skeletal mode of my computer. And once we're there, my computer starts working as it should. And that's what this week of prayer and fasting can do for us. And just like I need to sometimes take time, if not hours, with my laptop to do this thing, it can be frustrating, it can be painful, but it is so necessary in order to function. So yes, this week of prayer and fasting can be inconvenient. It can even be painful and frustrating, but we still choose to do it because we want to get our back on track. We want to align ourselves with God. Guys, the series is called Rebuilding. It's not just rebuilding my life, my will, my kingdom. And yes, we are going to be looking at our lives and our jobs and our careers and the brokenness around us. But ultimately what we want to do is rebuild by aligning ourselves with God and His kingdom. And as I flush myself of the unnecessary clutter in my life during this week of prayer and fasting, I am able to align myself with God. I'm actually empowered to lay down my will so I can pray. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. So we as a church want to do everything in our power to equip you to be able to do exactly this. 
And so every morning, starting tomorrow, we're going to have a, de- a devotion to help you focus on what God is going to be doing in this day. And then Jody and her kids ministry team, they've put together some resources just to equip families and parents and kids to be able to do this week together. Also, if you go to our website, you'll see some other videos and some resources that you can download or read that are going to help you do this week of prayer and fasting. Then we look at our Velocity team and Tristan of Cesare are going to be doing a daily Instagram live at 3.30 every single day. And then we are going to get together as a church twice during the course of this week. Tuesday at 7 p.m. for an hour and Saturday morning at 8 a.m. for an hour. Yes, we're going to be doing this online, but I want to encourage every single one of you to get together so that we can pray together as we embody our desperate need before God, worshiping Him, but also aligning ourselves with Him in prayer and fasting. And then finally, if your life group hasn't started yet or if you're not part of a life group get plugged in let's start this year off by doing this thing together by having people on our left and our right who are encouraging us to press into God and to align ourselves with God for the rest of the year and so as we launch this week of prayer and fasting let me pray for you And so, Father, just like Nehemiah, we stand before you and we recognize the God who is great, the God who is awesome, and the God who is faithful to us. And Father, as we go through this week and as we turn away from our sin and towards you, would your Spirit empower us to do exactly that? Father, would you help us see where we have failed you and what we need to flush ourselves off so that we can align ourselves with you? Thank you that you are at work in this world. You are a God of rebuilding. You are a God of new things and new creation. And thank you, God, that you are going to use this week in a powerful way to align us with you and your will and your kingdom, Father God. And I pray that we'd see great fruit as a result. We pray all of this in your name. Amen. Full plate, empty stomach. God has given us this beautiful dish of spiritual content, but we often sit and choose to starve ourselves, leaving us broken, empty, and spiritually malnourished. So God gifted us with prayer and fasting. Fasting allows us to come to the table by unplugging from earthly things and plugging to the heart of Jesus. We starve the flesh and feed the spirit. Prayer are the utensils needed to engage with the spiritual nourishment that God has laid in front of us. We at Riverside are doing a week of prayer and fasting. And as Velocity, we are also engaging and taking part in this by doing an Instagram live from Monday to Friday. Let's be there and let's not miss out on God. That's all for today. If you would like to connect with us, please feel free to do so on our social media platforms. See you next week.